Please be seated. Good evening to you. Let's turn on our Bibles tonight to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, Sunday night studying through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. You flag them and they'll put a Bible in your hand and uh, so you can follow along with us tonight. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord uh, to you this evening. Jesus is headed into his uh, part of his ministry. It's late in his ministry, and not too long before uh, he'll end up dying on the cross for our sins. And he is uh, resorted in terms of uh, teaching the great crowds that are coming uh, to him in his public ministry, crowds that are so great that uh, he's finding it necessary to cast off from the shore of the Sea of Galilee to have enough room to, to teach people. And, uh, but he knows there's a lot of different motivations at this point in his ministry for people coming and listening. Some people want food. Some people just want a miracle, uh, but nothing to do with his word and his teaching. Others want a miracle, and they want his teaching. And so it's a mixed multitude. It's always a mixed multitude, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, concerning uh, any kind of, uh, of uh, assembly around the Lord and certainly in the New Testament. And so Jesus resorts now uh, to, at this point in his ministry, to parables uh, to kind of uh, give revelation to those who are uh, desiring to understand what he was saying and go deeper in him, and then the others that really weren't serious about him. He was just kind of a spiritual dog and pony show to them. He has just given, as we studied last week, the parable of the sower and the soils are really the, the seed and the soils representing people's hearts. And he continues in, uh, in the vein of parables in verse 21 with a parable of uh, the oil lamp. He also said to them, that is the disciples, and thus to us, he said, is a lamp to, uh, brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be uh, set on a lampstand? And so this would have been like an absurd thing. Jesus uses imagery from life that would, they would immediately picture it within, within their, uh, in their minds. And nobody in that culture would light a lamp, an oil lamp in a house, and then uh, put it in the corner or hide it or put a basket over it. A lamp you would light, and a lamp was a very, very small thing. Light was very, very precious. And uh, you go to Israel today, or you probably do it online too. There's just a lamp that they would use to light their house. You could fit readily into your hand, fill it with olive oil, put a wick out of it, and it would just give a very small amount of light. But it was light in a dark room. No one would light a lamp for the purpose of then, then hiding the light. And, uh, you know, today we get used to, uh, so often we go in and just flip a switch and we've got as much light in the room as we've, uh, whatever bulbs we want to put in and, and be uh, lit as, as possible. But in those days, that wasn't an option. I mean, it, in terms of modern architecture, we love light, of course, in California because we've got these seasons. And, and, uh, but it's technology that allows us to build the way that we build now with uh, sheer walls. I mean, there's support for them and all, but entire uh, sides of a house are solid glass looking out. It's only the technology that allows some insulation to occur related to that and, and, uh, and, and some amount of uh, you know, the ability to have relatively cheap energy and energy loss that allows us to build homes like that, live in them, and then, 
and, and then keep them heated and keep them cooled. I mean, if you've ever been to Europe or some other place, I don't, we don't have many castles in the United States, so I don't know where you go to see one, but you go there, and all these rooms are dark, and the windows are just these little tiny windows, and that was, those, that was an energy issue. You just could not allow to put gigantic openings in a room and have them and keep the castle or the room uh, hot enough to survive in, in the winter. And so sometimes we've got to just stop and think about what light means and, and what it meant uh, in that culture. So it would be uh, crazy to, uh, given the value of light, to ever, uh, you know, cover it up. And he said, for there is nothing hidden, verse 22, which will not be revealed, uh, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, uh, let him hear. And uh, so the lamp here, in the context of what he's talking about, talking about sowing the seed, which is the Word of God, and the lamp here represents the truth that Jesus was speaking to His disciples, the truth of His, uh, His Word, and He was telling them that the truths that they were hearing, and He was telling them the interpretation, so to speak, of these, these parables, that they were not to keep those truths to themselves. And uh, the same thing is true of us. When we read the Bible on a one-on-one -on -one basis with God, or we uh, learn it in a place like this, God gives revelation of what that means to us, but it's never to be kept uh, uh, simply to ourselves. Uh, what we learn about the Bible and what we learn about God is then to be taken out into the darkness of the culture that is all around us. To fail to do that, and Jesus' illustration here is to have this incredible light that has been uh, entrusted to us, and then we fail to let that light or that truth be known or shown through our lives on, on a daily basis. Uh, a daily basis. And so that truth is to, uh, that, that we learn it's to be put out there for, in the open for everyone uh, to see. And then Jesus said in verse 24, uh, take heed with what you, uh, heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken uh, away uh, from him. And, uh, and so here is he, uh, Jesus talks about the fact that in, in all of this, that the more revelation that we receive from God, from his word, we receive it into our lives, and the idea of receiving it into our lives is it becomes a part of our life. The, you know, it, I guess it's the, if, if we treasure what we hear, from God, from His Word, and the revelation of His Word, and we give it a living place within our lives, then Jesus is always going to give us greater revelation concerning spiritual things. Uh, why would He give us greater revelation if we, care enough, we don't care enough about the revelation that He's giving to us to even incorporate it into our lives? And uh, so here is the principle. If we take these things, we listen to them, we make them a part of our lives, He will then show us and, get, and give us further insights into His Word, how it applies to our life, and that whole dynamic is unleashed. In other words, when He, he spoke, and 
gave that parable uh, concerning the soils, and he's talking about this mixed crowd that is out there and uh, these four different types of hearts supremely that uh, the Word of God uh, attempts to penetrate and does penetrate. He's saying this isn't something that was just about, uh, you know, people or even Christians 2,000 years ago. Uh, to this day, each one of us listens to the Word of God with a, 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 an individual hunger, with an individual willingness to obey it, to incorporate it into the daily of our life. And the person who does that, God will give even more. And to the person who doesn't do that, even what they have will just uh, atrophy and it, will, uh, and it will fall away. And so the importance really here is he speaks about uh, to the disciples in terms of an encouragement and really an exhortation to us is that what we learn uh, from him as Christians, uh, it is not our luxury to hold on to it. You see, you hear people say all the time, that uh, religion should be private, absolutely private, has no place in the public setting and no place to be shared. Or, and, and I don't think that we're free to do it on our boss's dime necessarily, but, but uh, they're closing off the entire uh, public uh, square related to talking about uh, religion or talking about spiritual things, and there's this indoctrination that we are to keep it to ourselves. And then we ask ourselves, even tonight, under the weight of what Jesus teaches here, has the culture or the devil or my flesh or my pride, has it bludgeoned me into absolute silence uh, concerning the things of the Lord? So that week after week, month after month, year after year, I'm engaged in thousands of conversations, and uh, all manner of things are being said about life, about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, the hereafter, how to live life, what's right and wrong, and uh, I, never, I no longer step into those conversations. Uh, I no longer take all that I know, and God has, has shown me from His Word and uh, taught me individually, discipling me, and I, I no longer interject those things into the conversation, then I've taken this priceless light and I've, I've put it uh, a basket over it. Now I'm hiding it. And it doesn't mean, I would say that I, maybe it's true of a, a, a lot of Christians, I can only say uh, related to me. When I was a brand new Christian, I would witness to a telephone pole, and, uh, and I would share the things of the Lord with in, absolutely any and all opportunity that came up. I mean, I would redirect conversations. They're talking about something on television the night before, and I say, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, I just take the whole thing over, and then, but that takes us back to Genesis, and then, you know, this all wraps up in the book of Revelation, and, you know, blah, 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 you know, I'm uh, so excited about things, and so probably a little bit of zeal without knowledge on, on all of that. And then, you know, you learn. So even in conversations that, we're in, that, that I engage in today, I have no problem with saying, absolutely no problem with saying, and I think it's maybe the strongest way to say it, to say in a conversation, not to bludgeon someone, but just I've got light, I've got understanding of the very things that we're talking about here. And to say, you know, the Bible says this, Jesus said this. And, 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 but, but now it act, what I'm saying actually is helpful for the conversation, you know, with the flow of the conversation on things. And you, I don't, you don't have to necessarily, uh, though I, I advocate, uh, advocate it, you don't necessarily have to say, you know, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, they don't care about that, uh, just to be able to say, you know, here's another way to think about that. I used to think about it that way too, but here's how I see that now. I see it this way, and here's why I see it. 
And, and then that light comes out. I see it in light of what Jesus has said. And I can't find any better way to look at what we're talking about than what He has said. And if you can help me, I'm open to suggestions. And so, but we, we can look at, even in a church body like this, where I like to think we're well taught in the Word of God, and that we're serious about learning the Word of God, that we can learn and learn and learn and learn, but if their outflow gets uh, turned off and the spigot uh, goes off, then we can all go to our graves knowing a mountain about the Bible and provide no lighter revelation into the culture or the family or the workplace or the school or where, whatever we're engaged in in the culture around us. And so Jesus speaks to us about the fact that, again, we talked a little bit this morning about being a debtor, knowing these things, learning these things, having this revelation makes us a debtor then to uh, let these things be seen and, and heard through our lives and, and declared uh, to, to others. And one of the, as he talks about kind of the, the fact that as we do this, we'll receive more. If we don't do it, 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 it even what we have will be taken away. As we, as we kind of engage in these kind of conversations as a regular part of our life as Christians, and we grow into, uh, into comfort related to all of this. As we do that, then we're going to get stumped in conversations. We're going to get asked questions that we don't uh, know the answer to. Uh, in, in uh, conversations, uh, or, but just the engaging in the conversation is going to create a hunger within our lives to search the Word of God out. You have to go, if, you're going to, if, if we're going to do this, it's going to ultimately force us to grow as Christians in the Word of God, and uh, God will then meet us there and open up our understanding. He then goes on in verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed uh, on the ground. And so you see, in, again, the sower in the mind. He's broadcasting seed out onto a field. And he's done the, the manual labor of, of broadcasting the seed on the ground and uh, a tiring day. And so he does what, uh, you know, anyone would do at night. And, he, and so he sleeps at night. He rises in the morning, and uh, the seed should sprout and grow. He, and how it does, uh, he does not, uh, himself does not uh, know. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So the farmers of those days, I mean, farmers today, uh, some of them can be scientists. I mean, because this is, is be, everything's become scientific. And, uh, but in those days, to farm, all you needed to do was be strong, have a love for it, and uh, have a field and have some seed. You didn't have to understand uh, photosynthesis. Uh, you didn't have to understand the laws concerning germination, none of that. All you had to do was just put the seed in contact with the soil in a proper way, and if you did that, then you would have a crop after a, a period of time. And uh, you don't have to understand how it works, what happens with the soil, what is the dynamic, what's happening on a, 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 a you know, on a microscopic, a, a, a atomic level in the seed and with the soil. Don't need to understand any of that. Uh, all we need to do is just sow that seed and uh, and, and it will do the work that it's intended to do. And what Jesus is talking about here for us is that uh, the same thing in terms of sharing the Word of God, to be very, very confident 
in the, the power of the Word of God to produce life, to accomplish what God has intended it to accomplish. You don't have to understand everything. I think it's good to grow in our understanding of the whys of God as He reveals them in the Word. He doesn't reveal all of His whys uh, to us. I think it, it doesn't do any harm to have, know a little bit of about apologetics and maybe share, you know, here's what the worldview is prevailing right now, and here's what Jesus says, and this is why what Jesus says is uh, superior to that and, and, uh, and to lay that out. But even if we don't know any of those things, uh, the, the Word of God is alive, it's powerful. And, and it's a living thing. Seed is a living thing. And what the Lord is basically saying to us is, you don't have to understand how uh, you sharing uh, my word with someone else on whatever the subject might be, you don't have to understand how that is going to become fruitful in their lives. All you need to do is to do it, just to do it. And so often, one of the things that I think silences us as Christians is we say, well, if I say that to this person, I mean, they've got a PhD, or they've, uh, they've got a degree that's higher than me, or they've uh, got life experience that I don't have, and I don't see how they're ever going to accept what I'm going to say in the simplicity of the Word of God. That's not our problem. That's God's problem. He makes the seed powerful. All He's looking for is someone to sow the seed. And then he will cause it to have fruit in, in people's lives. Every single one of us as Christians, we're, we, 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 are, uh, we bear witness to, the, to this whole process within, within our lives. And I, I know people, uh, for when, uh, when I was younger, I know they, uh, to, uh, a handful of people in particular uh, who spoke the gospel to me, who spoke the Word of God to me, and it looked like nothing. Looked like nothing. I look like nothing for years and years and years. In fact, you're, you were to look at me and my twin brother uh, in church or any in a spiritual environment or see us in any environment, it would look like this is going nowhere. Those two guys are going to be a train wreck. It's, it, it's just the only thing we can bet on is what year in their life it's going to happen. And yet everything that was spoken, it stuck. It stuck. I remember hearing Greg Laurie talk about his, he'll be doing next Sunday night, the crusade, and talking about the fact that before he became a Christian and all of these people would hand him tracks, you know, broadsiding with tracks. And uh, he just grabbed it, you know, he's with his peers and stuff and in his pocket, it looked like nothing, it's not going. He said, I never threw a track away. He never threw it on the ground, he put it in his pocket, went home and he had a drawer for those tracks. They were making a difference in his life. And then ultimately we know that a, a great thing was going to happen in our life, and in his life. And for, so to have that confidence, God wants us to have this, the confidence in the Word of God. And, and, the, and one of the points is, is that most of the time when we share the gospel or we share God's truth with someone who doesn't know the Lord yet, it looks like nothing. It looks like nothing. And then we talk ourselves out over the long haul of things, talk ourselves out of doing this because we don't know, understand how it's going to make a difference in their life when it's not our job. Again, two parables that kind of come together that speak to us about the fact that the idea isn't that we accumulate mass amount of spiritual knowledge and then keep it to ourselves. It is intended to be broadcast if we will do it 
the harvest uh, will come. God will absolutely uh, make sure of it. Famous passage, I can't uh, leave this uh, parable without uh, speaking about this from the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the hearer, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent. When we are confident that God will always do that with His Word in a human heart, it goes a long way from us talking ourselves into uh, silence, which is a disaster, because if we all go silent, uh, then uh, a significant part of God's voice in the world uh, is lost. He comes now to the parable of the, the mustard seed, and then He, Jesus, said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? What is God's kingdom like? How does it operate? Or with what uh, w uh, the outward kingdom? What, and with what parable shall we uh, picture it? He said, it's like a mustard seed, uh, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. The mustard seed is a very, very small uh, 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 seed uh, among the herbs. But when it is sown, it grows up, it becomes greater than all herbs, and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now, uh, the, here Jesus, he likens the kingdom of, of heaven uh, to a mustard seed, uh, again being sown into the field by a man and, and uh, the least of all of the, the herb seeds. And, and here, uh, as he describes its growth, it produces a plant that becomes a tree in size. It becomes so great that not only are the, the birds of the air able to come and land on the branches for some support before they fly off to uh, another tree, but it's big enough to actually support uh, the nests of the birds. They're able to nest in the branches. Now, the interesting thing about mustard plants in that part of the world is that uh, they're much more of a bush rather than a tree. So what Jesus is describing in terms of the growth of this mustard plant uh, is something that is unnatural growth, that is something that is uh, phenomenal uh, growth. Now, the, the most common interpretation of this parable is that Jesus is communicating that the kingdom of heaven is going to begin very, very small. It's going to look very, very insignificant, and, uh, but it's going to experience uh, tremendous growth, and, and it's going to win the whole world to Jesus, and, and then we'll close out uh, this church age with a great wave of, of success and glory. And uh, probably, I would say, most of you, if you've never studied this particular parable here, that, that's your understand. that's what you've been taught related to the parable. Uh, I think the meaning of the parable is something very, very differently, and, and I'll tell you why I don't think that interpretation is right. It is true that Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of heaven uh, professing Christianity, outward Christianity. It'll, it will begin small. It'll achieve great, uh, great size, great influence, great success. But he is also teaching that this would not be accomplished uh, through purity, not through uh, holiness or faithfulness to God's Word, but that it will occur uh, by way of, of compromise. And here's why I hold that view. In the parable uh, of the soils, uh, Jesus, in, in verse 13 of chapter 4, He gave us the key to properly interpreting 
all of the parables. And notice again in verse 13, he said to the disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? And so, in order to properly interpret all of the other parables that Jesus gave, a person has to honor a a law of biblical interpretation that is known as expositional constancy. And what that means related to the parables is this, is that whatever whatever some symbol represents in the parable of the soils, it, represent, it represents that through all of the parables. And in the parable of the soils, the birds represented Satan and represented the demonic realm. And so they, it has to represent the same thing in this parable as well. And thus Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of heaven is going to grow to a tremendous size in the world. It certainly has. Uh, but unfortunately, the birds, uh, Satan, evil is going to find a place there as well. And what Jesus is warning about uh, and, and actually preparing us for is Christians, so it doesn't dishearten us when we see it happen. But he's warning against false growth, where you have growth through compromise, so that uh, in a local church or the body of Christ as a whole, uh, when growth in the church or the size of the church becomes more important than being faithful to God's Word, more important than holiness, more important uh, than integrity. And, uh, and when, the, when that gets flipped, when we move from a goal of being faithful to God's Word, operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, with a goal of making disciples, no matter what size the church becomes, uh, and, and, and we uh, operate in that, in, in that particular place, which is where uh, we, we ought to operate. We, do, we don't have control over the size of the, uh, of the church, but it will be a successful church. But I, I, I'll tell you, that all the years that I've been a pastor, almost everything that I get in terms of conferences that come my way and invitations to conferences, not to speak at them, but to attend them, uh, it is all, it's church growth. It is church growth, church growth, church growth, church growth, church growth, and it is just everybody, of course, wants a, a big church. And, uh, and, I mean, all of us, I, myself included, we, you know, you would rather have something larger than smaller, even for a spiritual reason of, of, of impact in terms of a, of a community. But when, when growth and these kind of things become the driving force, the most important thing, then what it, what it can do in a local church is it opens us up now to growth at any cost. It opens us up to now being willing to accommodate compromise for the sake uh, of, uh, of growth. And, uh, and when, say, when that happens in a local church or in a, even within an entire country, Satan's very happy to come and take advantage of it and be a part of that. And as you look around uh, the world today at what calls itself Christianity, uh, you, then you see that it's, it's true. You've got all kinds of religious cults and, uh, and religious systems that claim to be Christian. They claim to have their origin in the Bible and, and their origin in the Lord, and they don't. A classic example is Mormonism. I mean, it, that is, it is demonic in its origin. Uh, Jehovah Witness religion, here it is. I mean, it's out of the parable. It's a, it is demonic in its, in its origin, and, uh, and yet claims to be Christian, claims to represent God, and, uh, and yet something has become more important than just integrity to the Word of God. 
I think of Roman Catholicism today, and I, I, I probably on a personal level I've taken more heed over Roman Catholicism or ever talking about it publicly, and you know that I don't talk about it uh, publicly maybe once every five years or something as a passage would, would dictate. Um, but I spent a, a, a short period of time in Roman Catholicism when I was growing up, but you look at so much of what is associated with Roman Catholicism, and it was a, uh, it was a compromise with the paganism of, 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 of uh, uh, key periods in, in their development. And, and so much of what you see within the system, you don't see it in the Word of God uh, at all. And uh, I always tell people, you know, I, I, that, listen, you, you, you can fiddle around here or there, I guess. I, you know, I don't want any part with it. But once you, once you move away from salvation on the basis of grace alone through faith, now you're in real trouble. And Roman Catholicism teaches. There are Christians in Roman Catholicism. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not because of Roman Catholicism. It's in spite of Roman Catholicism. And the teaching that salvation is on the basis of faith and keeping the sacraments. Now you're telling me that the cross isn't enough, uh, that I can add something to that. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the President of the United States or the President of the EU. You cannot come and, and make a statement uh, uh, like that, and you certainly can't do that claiming to represent God. But, uh, but uh, just in a... Uh, um, uh, being open disclosure related to the issue. Look at how much of uh, Protestantism, and specifically, uh, so I, listen, I'm not choosing my targets here tonight, but you look at how much of liberal Protestantism. Do not believe in the deity of Christ. You have no Savior. You have no salvation. You have no sacrifice that is without spot and without blemish. Doesn't believe in a resurrection. You have no victory over death. You have no hope of heaven. Uh, doesn't believe in the miracles, uh, accommodating all kinds of sin, uh, uh, the platforms of the denomination, and uh, 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 advocate abortion, and, and yet all the while claiming to, to represent Christ and the God uh, of the Bible. And it's just the birds of the air coming in, uh, in, in into the, the tree and finding a place, and, 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 and finding a place uh, because of a willingness to to compromise, and, uh, and so it's become a shelter for evil, just as Jesus said it, it would. And what you have here in the parable is false growth that comes, again, through the compromise of the standard of God's Word, uh, the accommodation of carnal teaching, false teaching, false teachers, and uh, it is uh, very important, and I exhort myself uh, foremost in all of this, that local churches, uh, that we do not place church growth as a priority over faithfulness to God's Word, holiness, purity, these kind of things, because it will always lead to compromise. And uh, here you have the pressure that is on every church in the entire uh, world today, certainly everyone in California and everyone in, in the United States. And, uh, uh, and the pressure is you have to compromise this biblical standard in order to attract this group of people to your church and then to hold them to your church. And you have to compromise that biblical standard and in order to attract uh, this other group, group and keep them here. And then pretty soon the next level of pressure is that you have to stop teaching about these subjects. 
You have to even stop mentioning uh, the various hot topics within uh, the culture because it offends people and it makes people uncomfortable. Not just sinners uncomfortable, ladies and gentlemen, Christians uncomfortable. And that's the culture uh, that we're in the middle of uh, here, here today. And, and, uh, and yet all of it, it can grow to tremendous size, but unfortunately, uh, birds and evil end up finding a place there too. Imagine a church where uh, the, de- the devil is uh, comfortable uh, in there. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, saying to us as a result of it, don't be surprised, don't be discouraged when it happens, just stay busy about uh, his business. And so that's what we try to do, is try to keep our nose clean, try to point people to God, as you see in every service that you come here and throughout the week in the various Bible studies, and pointing people to God in song, pointing to people to God in, in the teaching of the Word of God and getting out of the way and allowing God to, to work through those things. But if you sat down and you just looked at, I'll just say it for myself in the position that I hold, if I just sat down and looked at how many voices claiming to represent the truth of God's Word, uh, and, and, then, and then how many of them uh, are absolutely teaching contrary to it or practicing contrary to it, it could just sink your heart. You just would look at it and say, I give up. I mean, it's just, it, it, it is, it, 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 it's a, a, a whole series of voices uh, that, that how, how is anybody going to get saved when you've got so many people with so many bogus ideas saying they represent God and can't even get the message of salvation right? And it can dishearten you can certainly dishearten a guy like me. And, and so he puts this in here so that we would know ahead of time. He knows this is going to happen, and, uh, and what we don't allow it to do is to take us out or to even, you know, make them necessarily the focus of the ministry, as uh, Pastor Bill taught a few weeks ago, trying to remove the tares from the wheat and so forth. Jesus just says, this is the way that it's, it's going to be, and uh, there'll be this kind of, of growth. And, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean that a smaller church is any more holy than a larger church. It doesn't really have anything uh, to do with that, but, but the integrity that's necessary. And with many such parables, verse 33, he spoke the word to them as they were able uh, to hear it. And without a parable, he did not speak. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. And then on the same day as he's uh, talking with them about these things, then uh, evening came. And uh, when it had come, he said to the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Uh, Now, if you've got a red-letter edition of the Bible, uh, that is in red. Let us cross over to the other side. It's worth underlining if you underline in your Bible because it is the whole point of of this particular incident of being uh, in in the Gospels. So he tells them, and important to notice, he tells them, let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they separated from the great crowd that was following Jesus. They took him along in the boat as he was, And the other little boats were also with him. And then as they're in the boat, this great windstorm arose, and the uh, waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, I I don't know about you, but I'm I'm not as bad as Pastor Bob in terms of water. I think I've mentioned this before. He'll forgive me for this. Uh, Bob's not a big fan of water. And uh, and, uh, if I'm out on a large body of water, I like uh, like a 
12-story cruise ship, something like that, and it just goes along the shore. You know, the Coast Guard could get to us quickly. So I'm not a big fan of that. And, uh, but, but here you are. They go out, and Jesus tells them to go to the other side. This great storm uh, comes. I don't like reading words like uh, waves beat uh, uh, into the boat. Not just upon the boat, waves beating into the boat, and now the boat is, is taking on water. Now, that would put me in a panic on a, on a physical level in that, that kind of a situation. Uh, I'm not a great swimmer. I can swim. I, I, I advocate that everybody uh, learn to swim. But, uh, so this is really kind of a mess. The boat starts to fill. It is important, however often we've heard it, but we need to hear it because every day we're different people in a different set of trials that there are storms, big storms, uh, you know, great windstorms, even while we're right in the middle of God's will. I don't know why I have to continually be reminded of that, but I have this kind of uh, Eden-esque idea that if I'm in the middle of the will of God, that somehow it's always going to be easy, and, uh, and yet it isn't. There are great storms, in, in, even in the midst of God's will. And, and so the boat is filling with water. Jesus is in the stern, and he's asleep on a pillow. What a picture. I don't know how you picture that in your mind, but there's a picture that probably pulls up. He's tired. He's tired. Healing all those people, saying all, those, all that teaching and delivering people to demons and, and just the middle of it, and he gets on that boat, and he's sleeping through uh, all of this. You ever felt like you're sleeping through a storm that you're in the middle of? Where in the world is he? All hands on deck, baby. I mean, we're going to, I am not going to survive this trial. Where are you? And you find out he's asleep right underneath of the, the stern, sound asleep in the middle of it. Because what panics me doesn't panic him. He knows that when he says, we're going to go to the other side, we're going to go to the other side. And uh, that, that promise of his, that's not in play in his mind, not one ounce not one inch. He, he, he's completely at peace that what he has declared is going to happen is going to happen. Uh, my enjoyment of the journey and, and, and it is directly proportional to how much I believe of his word and what he knows to be true. So sometimes I get super upset that he is not as anxious and as worried as I am. And I, I'd like to see a little bit. I'd like to see him pacing the deck a little bit and wringing his hands. It would somehow, uh, you know, on a surface level, it would bring me a little bit of comfort. And he never does it. He never does it at all. Because uh, it, at times like that, he knows that, uh, what he knows and, and walks in uh, what I have lost uh, sight of. And so they, they, they woke him up. And I don't know how to get, who's going to wake him up? John, you wake him up. Andrew, you wake him up. Oh, I don't know. He's, he's been working hard today, and he's sleeping soundly down there. And then how do you wake him up? How do you wake God up? I don't know how. Uh, do I just wiggle his foot at the face of the bed? Or we give him a good shove up at the shoulders or yank the pillow out. So, and... Uh, and they, they awoke him, however they did it, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? 
Here we are, we're up here trying, fighting for our lives to stay alive, and we're going to perish. We're going to perish here. And you're down here sleeping, and, and, uh, and, and, and there's evidence that you don't care at all. You, you have no idea the, the danger that we're in. And so then he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm uh, after having declared this. And then he said to them, so uh, they wake him up in his response to this catastrophic series of events that they felt that they were in the middle of. Uh, the first thing he does is he speaks to the storm and he steals it, uh, uh, stills it. But then the second thing that he does in response is very important for us in verse 40. He then speaks to the disciples and he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, that why is interesting. I mean, now, now, none of us are out on the Sea of Galilee is a typical trial for us, where we're in the middle of a great storm and the boat is filling and we feel like we're going to die. Uh, this, this will be the night that I die on the Sea of Galilee. We're all going to drown out here on this. Now, the, we all face different kinds of trials that produce the same result uh, within us, the same emotion within us. And, and so, when we come and we cry out to God, why don't you care what, and we're going to sink, we're all going to die, and, and, and all of this, and then he comes up and, and, and somewhere in the course of the trial, and he asks us, uh, why are you so fearful? Why am I so fearful? Look at the waves outside. Look at this little boat that we got in, and look at the size of the storm that's going on. Why can you ask me why I feel the way, uh, the emotion that I feel in, in the midst of uh, of all of this, this trial that we're, uh, we're in. And yet, it, it can seem as if it's, it's almost cruel as he, as he, as he asks that. Uh, but still, uh, he, uh, he asks them. And then he, he doesn't end with the, the first question. He then adds another one, and he says, how is it that you have no faith? And he rebukes their faith. And how, what was the absence of faith in their life? It was very simple. In verse 35, he told them, let's cross over to the other side. And when Jesus says, we're going to cross over to the other side, then we're going to get to the other side. Come hell or high water, as the old saying goes. Come storm, come trial, come whatever. And, and I stand before you as a person who has, I have experienced uh, both sides of these kind of times in life where I've gone into tremendous panic, and why, and how, and is, are you here, and, and, and all of this. But one of the things that I've learned, and I, and I know that you'll bear witness to it as well, related to your own lives. I could get an amen out of every Christian in, in the room. But for every single one of those trials that I've found myself going to kind of the desperation of the disciples in, in that, I... I, uh, I like to be the hero of all of my stories, but, uh, but I'm not. And uh, one of the things that I've learned over and over and over again that has driven the lesson deep into my life, because I, I've noticed that the lesson is unfailing, and that is that God's Word will always have the final say in any situation in our life as a Christian and in any storm we find ourselves in the middle of. And I can't tell you uh, probably two or three times in the course of my Christian life where I came to really doubt that I would survive this storm 
I am in the middle of right now, and that the promises that God gave me in the midst of that storm that I would ever survive in my right mind uh, to be able to enjoy the fulfillment of those promises. And maybe you've never been in a storm like that, and you think I'm a lightweight. Well, you think whatever you want um, on that. Your storm's coming, baby. Uh, but because they just come. They just come this way. And to realize, and just to say concerning whatever we're, any of us are in the middle of tonight, we know it already in terms of lesser storms. But God graduates us to greater storms because He's always purifying and deepening and broadening our faith. And, and to, to look at it, and to, I've never known a time where God's promises fail to have the final say in any uh, great situation and storm or difficulty that I found myself in, and I know it's true for you. And you may be, find yourself in the very middle of a storm tonight. And, uh, and as you look at it, uh, and, and all of the emotion, all of the weight, and, and all, and just to be reminded of the fact that that, that, that will be the case. It is, it, it is helpful for me. I don't know that it will be, that it is necessarily for you. Uh, but this verse 40 is a rebuke uh, of them, and it's a rebuke of their faith. And a lot of times in my Christian life, and I assume it's true of you, a lot of times when I hit a crisis of faith in my life, or I hit a great difficulty or trial within my life, um, most of the time what I feel that I need from God the most is an encouragement to my faith, not a rebuke, an encouragement to my faith. Where I, what I like him to do is just come in his Holy Spirit, kind of put his arms around me. You're going to get through this, and everything's going to be okay, and I have kind of that reassurance. That's, that's, what I, that's how I, I like it to happen most often. And then sometimes the Lord, and especially if we've walked with the Lord a long time and we've been few, through, through a few of these things, and we ought to know better than to have our faith collapse every time something big happens, the Lord will rebuke. He'll, he'll then take to rebuking our faith. And I, and I know that there are times in my life, as with the disciples right now, that when my faith is faltering and I'm heading into the same emotion that all of them are feeling and I think I just need a, a, a group hug in order to get through it and the Lord doesn't give that to me. Instead, He comes and, and He, uh, he rebukes, uh, rebukes me and, uh, and, uh, that, and rebukes me for my lack of faith in, in Him. And, uh, and it takes that rebuke to bring me back uh, to my uh, senses, and so perhaps it'll do that, that very thing in one or two of our lives uh, this evening. And so they feared exceedingly, and they said to one another, who uh, can this be uh, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And this is another interesting thing about trials, is they're continuing to grow in their knowledge of him, what he can do, uh, uh, how he handles situations. And I mean, this is a, 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 a continual growth into, uh, into who he is and what he is. And, and our lives are the same well, way as well. Let's venture into uh, um, chapter uh, 5. No, we won't. Uh, there's too much here, even with the demoniac, to kind of rush through it. And uh, so we'll stop there and ask the worship team to come forward and uh, lead us in worship tonight to close out the service.